Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. It's the Mitchin Podcast. Hi, what's up? Welcome to another episode of the Mitchin. My name is Andrew Levins. My co-host, as always, Mitchell Orr. And joining us today, again, for the first time in, I don't know, three, three a, weeks, a handful of weeks. weeks, the one and only Michael Eggett, um, newly, Woo, un- newly unemployed for a short amount of time. Yes, retired. <laughs> retired, retired for a fortnight. Retired from poverty. Um, good you luck, mean, Pinbone. You mean freshly sold out, Mike <laughs> <laughs> If uh, only. I did all the selling out without any of the selling. <laughs> so, uh, he's been a good, good luck, Pinbone, um, since was it, was it September last October. year? October, October last year, um, a uh, a spot in Kensington that he was running with his Pinbone crew, um, Bez and uh, Jim. Um, you guys previously in Paddington, I guess, and then um, Ten William. So you've done you know like kind of like Sydney's best brunch menu. Um, worked at Sydney's you know one of Sydney's best Italian joints, and then you took tried your hand at. Uh, like Chinese and had only walks in the back of uh, Good Luck Pinbone in Kensington. Um, and uh, that was always going to be a pop-up. Mm-hmm. And you finally, you, you wrapped it up. Yeah, yeah, we closed it down last week, which is good. So You put a pin in the pop-up. You, yeah, pop, you popped the pop-up. That's it. Lives. Should I keep going? No. Well, you wow. have to. That's, that's what the, the strength of this uh, podcast is built on, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Your whimsical play on words. <laughs> um, so how does it feel, you know, knocking another project on the head? Oh, it's good. Someone asked me that actually in a press interview two days ago. I can't remember who it was. And they said like, oh, is, are you sad? Are you disappointed you're closing? And I was like, well, no. Because when you open something and you know you're closing it, you sort of like, you squeeze every drop out of it. So we did... Everything we thought we could or everything we were able to do in the, the, the time frame we had and we set ourselves like bold targets and we, we pushed ourselves pretty hard. So no no sadness at all. In fact, we ran for like three months longer than we intended to. Mm-hmm. So it was good, really good. So really happy, happy to be out of there. So yeah. Um, yeah. What, what was the dish you had the most of left over on your final day? Um, or like not even the dish, but like the element, the thing that you're like, oh God. <laughs> oh, look, we didn't, we didn't, we, we ran pretty tight. Uh, I think on the last day, actually we had like a half a box of yabbies left over, but we intended to have some extra because we were having a cook up for friends. Yep. But we had a bit more than we thought. But last night we made like Mexican at our house and just had like yabby boil. <laughs> so fucking indulgent. Eh? I was <laughs> actually going to tweet it and like, Hashtag gains and pretend I was hongy, you know, because kind of all fitted with the new signing and all that sort of stuff. I thought, you know. um, but yeah, we sat there eating just giant yabby tail tacos. It was very, oh, really? yeah, it was really good. You're gonna, you're gonna do that next spot? No, yabby tail tacos, no, forty dollars a taco. Yeah, no, no, I'm not quite up to that margins yet. Mm-hmm. I know, merry about prices, you might be. <laughs> <laughs> so the big news uh, that was that came out um, at the start of this week was uh, that you have uh, announced a new temporary venture. Yeah. Um, and uh, you were working with Maryvale, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, a company that should not listen to all the episodes you've been on of this podcast. But tell me what you guys are doing with, uh, with Maryvale. So it's a weird one. It's a, it's, a, it's a pretty interesting project. And to be honest, they came and approached us and we said, like, no. And they kind of hit us up through Geordie. He was like, do you want to have a meeting? And I was like, no, not really. Mm-hmm. And then they sort of, he told me the basis for the project and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. So the reason we kind of got enticed was because when they said, oh, this is the project, it is a, a, a genuine pop-up. So we're building a makeshift kitchen on wheels in a shed 
at the back of a car park behind a pub. And from that, they kind of let it like let it up to us. They kind of said, this is what we think, but what would you do? And we were like, oh, yeah, maybe. We still don't really want to, you know, we want to be independent. Like we've always wanted to be independent. So they said to us, well, how about you don't sign with Maryvale? You just invoice us and we'll do a deal where you guys stay as Pinmoan and you just work in our space. And we were like, well, that's heaps better for us. So we're staying as Pinbone and we're basically coming on as a supplier. So we're just like a fish supplier or a meat supplier, but we're going to do the restaurant. So we can do all the hiring, we can do all the firing. Um, and they've been really fantastic. They've been really awesome. So they're setting it up. And the long-term goal for them is to use that space continually for different things. So say like Hongi decides he wants to do you know, like Peruvian food. He yeah, might yabby tacos. Yeah, he might go there and do a pop-up or if they get greeno and he's like, I want to try my hand at doing something else or they recruit someone new or they want to give a young guy an opportunity. The whole idea is that that space, once we do the groundwork with them and do the kind of hard yards, the first six months of a space is the shit times. The first couple of weeks are the shit times and you really, you don't know what's going to hit you until you've opened, you. you know. Yeah. So the idea is use us up a little bit like frontline in- infantry, like get in there, we'll take all the hits. And then once we get out of there, there'll be a running smooth, you know, operational creative space that they can they can do. So uh, Justin and Frank, who are the, the visionaries and the, the money men and the businessmen behind the Maryvale Enterprises said to us, what would you do? We put together some some ideas and they were like, this is fucking cool. And we basically said to them, we want to do like a warehouse party. We just want to keep it really, really minimal, like really fucking minimal and really fun and kind of do some things that we would never be able to do ourselves as well as do some things that no one's ever done before. So Justin was really keen to keep it as a bottle shop. We thought that was a really good idea. So it's basically going to look and trade like a bottle shop. So people will come in, they'll walk into the giant bottle shop fridge and they'll get their own booze. And where, where is this again? It's in the Tennyson Hotel down in Mascot, but it's not in the hotel. It's in the car park of the hotel. So <clears throat> it's all very interesting. It's all very weird. And then internally, we're going to have like wood fire ovens and wood fire grills. And we're going to do like real dirty, fast paced Italian food. So something that you, you kind of cooked for the first time proper at, uh, at Tim William. Yeah. I mean, and that was a bit more refined. And you were allowed to do like Asian twists and do whatever you wanted. And it was a bit more loose Italian. This one's going to be kind of like Brooklyn style you know no genre no province you know we're not sitting there saying we're doing tuscan we're not doing you know like you know sardinian we're just gonna grab at like root basic kind of things and just have fun and we're going to do big numbers so you know like it's a 90 seater which we could easily turn three times and we're doing lunch dinner saturday sunday so you know the prospect of doing 450 covers a day is is right there so it's going to be that kind of vibe so we make breads but big trays of focaccia you know yeah. or big flatbreads and then we'll use them in different elements and then yeah we'll just sling it'll just be fast and you're making less pasta probably not by hand to yeah. be honest we'll probably roll sheets and do like like old school raviolis and stuff like that our annulotis like that you can get done quickly but we're not going to sit there and roll you know nocchettis and you know trofetti and all that other sort of stuff by hand not for that many numbers there might be one or two on but but, you know, we might have an extruder. I'm not sure how to spend other people's money yet. I'm still learning. And <laughs> Hongi and Patrick Friesen and Geordie have come running. They love a new venture. They're like, if you need help spending. Patrick Friesen loves spending money. Eh? Like, <laughs> came to the restaurant. And he was like, I know how to go through Chef's Warehouse and just buy everything. everything. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, when it comes time to setting up the kit, just bring me with you. I'll teach you. Like, when you think you need 10 things, we'll get, we'll get 40. 40. Like, <laughs> so he's like, you should see the places that I know I've got at Queen Chow, just hiding all this fucking Tupperware. I was like, Jesus. So, well, it's been quite amazing because they have like a, a covenant, like an arc of old equipment that they've pulled out of other places. So like, when they set up Newport, they had like they did the refurb on the Newport and they just totally under budgeted how busy it was going to be. So like the equipment they put in was drastically undersized. They pulled it straight back out. So they're kind of just like, what do you want? And I'm like, got oh, pizza oven. They're like, yeah, I got four. Which one? <laughs> you know, want this one, this. So it was really good because it was a, it is a genuine pop-up. We haven't bought anything. So they basically come to the party with 
all this old equipment and they're just putting it in places and then if there's something we wanted like i think we needed one thing they traded it out from felix got them a new one because they're pumping and put the old second hand thing so it's really kind of a good fit for us um and yeah it's gonna be fun how long uh, is the puppet going to last? Six months only. So That's is that all. long enough for the three of you to be uh, forced to wear something ridiculous for the March in the Maryvale calendar? <laughs> well, I don't know. Like, I'm not really sure. I, I would, absolutely. You know. <laughs> when does it start? Uh, in October, but I don't know. We haven't broken ground yeah. or done any building. Yeah, so yeah. I don't know. I don't know how to build restaurants. Yeah. Like when we do something, it's like jam me and berry and we get the keys we go in we rip whatever we can rip out and then we paint what we can lay carpet and then we open so it's like a week you know because we don't have money we don't have any skills we're not carpenters we're not electricians we get Jem's brother the plumber we get my friend that does wiring and we get it done in a couple of weeks and we don't want to spend money on fit outs but this one's like they're going to do a fit out like the whole place is going to be converted but when they say to me four weeks I think, well, they've opened 68 restaurants, so they probably have a good idea of, you know, and they've renovated them all three times. They probably know what they're talking about. So um, early October is the is the goal. But, you know, they're, they're quite comfortable with just doing things at their own pace and, you know, we're not in any rush. So we'll see what October, happens. October, November. December, yeah, it's March. Sorry, March is in there. March just in there. Just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What kind, of, what kind of outfit would you wear in a March? I think I could be village people. <laughs> like, I'd like to be the Indian. Okay. You know, if it's not culturally appropriate, it, inappropriate anymore. It definitely anymore. is, but okay. Is it a, it. Uh, but am I culturally appropriating Native American Indians or a guy from yeah, no, village people? Because you're like, culturally appropriating YMCA. Yeah. Yeah. Not YMCA, sorry, village people. Um, <laughs> so uh, one thing that, uh, that it's exciting about this prospect for me is that um, uh, Good Luck Pinbone was BYO, mm-hmm. um, which was great in its own way. Yep. But... One thing that I like about you is your wine taste mm-hmm. and um, the idea of you essentially being the first venue, Maryvale venue, to have an incredible wine list. Yeah. Well, uh, well very modern. Look, they definitely have good wine lists at Maryvale, but it's a different kind of wine to what I'm into. Yeah. I, 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 the idea of having like a natural focused Maryvale venue is very exciting to me. So straight up, we, we dismissed the idea of... <clears throat> pushing for a natural wine list because we were just like pick your battles so sure. there, was, there was things we wanted to do and then justin came to us and said what what do you want to drink and we were like oh look let's just do the, the, the <laughs> let's do the business thing like you guys import wines and you have contracts and you have all these things like there's 68 restaurants or something ridiculous so they have a very solid foundation so we, we didn't want to rock the boat and they were like nah this is a bottle shop like you can have whatever you want so they're like it doesn't have to be the whole focus but we can easily accommodate what you want. So we're working with Frank Moreau, who's the sommelier for the group. Great, great sommelier. And he's just like, just tell me what you want and we'll, we'll work it out. And the advantage of this is we're not strictly going to have a wine list mm. because we don't need to print a list. Mm. So when, when Mitch opens Acme on a Saturday night, if he prints a list, you kind of have to have a certain amount of stock. Because you don't want to be think that. so, wouldn't you? But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if your front of house is doing their job, you should have a certain amount of things. Because you don't, it's like it's like kitchens. You don't want to run out of stuff at 6.30 on a Saturday and have to tell every table that comes in after. So, same with wine. You don't want to be saying, oh, sorry, the, the Lusamago is gone or the, you know, the, this is gone or this is gone. We're out of food. Exactly. Right? But when you walk into a room and things are on a shelf, if I have one bottle of Radicon... And nobody drinks it for six months. They'll just absorb that back into Fred's. Or, you know, like we don't need to have two cases, three cases. We can have two bottles of something sitting on a shelf. So, I mean, effectively, I could put a 50-bottle natural wine list together, but I could have two bottles of everything, 100 bottles of wine. That's nothing. You know what I mean? It's like eight cases. So, it's a grand scheme of things. If people want to drink the, you know, Pegasus bay riesling or they want to drink something from new zealand you know or some cloudy crap thing or <laughs> people can do whatever they want the idea is that we want them to come in and pick stuff and then the pricing is going to be really cheap like the, the pricing is going to be not not quite bottle shop but definitely not restaurant we want it to be a really open fun you know cheap experience so it should be really it should be really fun yeah it know. sounds awesome Sounds like and the, the perfect venture for you guys to do in between your next thing. Yeah, exactly. And we're not really sure what we're going to do after this, whether we'll stay together anyway as a group or, you know, like we've been going now for five years. So at the end of this will be nearly six years, whether or not like, you know, Bez wants to travel or she's been doing her jewelry again and her jewelry's fucking unreal. So, you know, she can't keep up with demand. So she might stop and just follow that dream now or I don't know, this 
you know, I, I want to be a farmer. So, you know, <laughs> I'm pretty much ready to retire from cooking. And this is the jacket you came wearing today, definitely. Well, this is my Mary Valsa, you know, suit. I to try to look like I'm <laughs> part of a company. <laughs> i got to go to the gym now. i got to take selfies. i got to write hashtag gains. i got to do Yeah, yeah you've got to do runs with, with Hongi and get yep. on his Instagram. That's it. Um, <clears throat> so, I want to talk to you about pop-ups. Yep, please do. Because Good Luck Pinbone was a pop-up. Um, and uh, the next venture with Mary Bell is one too. Um, and... Are you allowed to talk about how the difficulties that you had as like one of Sydney's like you know more prominent chefs running a pop up that some of Australia's bigger restaurant critics didn't want to give the time of day to because in by definition it was a pop up. Yeah, look, probably shouldn't. <laughs> we don't need to single anyone out. Yeah, but like, look, let's talk there's, about there's a really disappointing. Um, not all of them. Some of them are really fucking great. Like Pat's super supportive and Anthony Hockstep's super yeah, by supportive. By listing all the good ones, you're actually making it easier to work out who the ones you're not talking hey, about. <laughs> what's that whole thing if you don't say the name? I didn't say that. I don't know. Look, I'm not saying who's bad. I'm just saying who's good. And I don't want to paint everyone with the same brushstroke, okay? I want to be fair because some people get it. So if you're going to slander reviewers, which I'm happy to do, there's a lot of douchebags out there that don't know their ass from their head and they write things they shouldn't write. But there is a lot of, and it is a real shame, there's a lot of people that disrespect a pop-up. There's a lot of shit pop-ups, but there's a lot of shit restaurants. There's a lot of pop-ups that are only there for six months. There's a lot of restaurants that say they're going to be there for 10 years that are only there for six months. People that open and say, we're going to be a restaurant, get reviewed, get treated as an equal, get into guides, get into, you know, books, all that sort of stuff. People that open as a pop-up don't even get a look in. And it's a real shit thing because it's one of the best parts of modern dining is the pop-up when it's done well. Whether it's like a one-off thing, like you can't tell me that what Parsi and Giorgio I was gonna bring that up straight away. Yeah. Are, are doing isn't the coolest thing around. Who cares if it's for three days? If it made every other bar look shit for three nights, then shame on the rest of the bars because <laughs> they've got a ground, they've got a foot in the ground where they could be doing something really good. Uh, Yes, Giorgio breaks the law and he just does whatever he wants and he just is a funny, funny Italian and he gets away with things that would never work long term. And you have to then look at that and go, that's why the rest of the bars aren't as cool. But in the context of life, if you don't write about that and you don't take advantage of that, you know, so we got dismissed as a pop-up and people were like, I don't see the point of pop-ups. Those same people flocked down to Renee's pop-up when no more is here. And wrote about it as it was revolutionizing Australia. And I'm not saying we're as good as Noma, but don't tell me that pop-ups are pointless when you you flock to other ones, you know. Mm. So, to me, it's really, it's disrespectful, you know. And there's a real, a real um, misconception that pop-ups are, you know, inferior. And in m- many ways, they're, you know, a lot harder. They're, they're super hard. They're expensive. Cost you a fucking shitload of energy. Like to stop and start, stop and start. You know, like when we were doing original Pinbone, which was only ever going to be 12 months and we ran for two years, we had a brunch menu on, we had a dinner menu on, we had like multiple facets to just constantly write different sorts of things. Then we did Tim William, I think we did like 82 like menu items in four months, right? And at Good Life Pinbone, we've just cracked about 94 or something. Like we keep count, just see where we're at to. And now we're going to do this other pop-up at the Tennyson and we've already got about 35 menu items that we want to rotate through. So, you know, in three years, you've come up with, you know, 250 different menu items, some of them good, some of them bad, but the evolution and the creativity and the, the challenge to change genres is really tough, you know. And every time we get, like, dis, dis, disrespected or overlooked, it kind of gets mm. a bit like, fuck you, you know. I feel you on that, but I think to say it's harder than owning a restaurant is it's not I don't think it's harder I think it's very different you don't have a lot of the same pressures and that kind of thing such as a fucking rental bond big rents and like there's a lot of different challenges yeah there and is to say that you know like you should be able to be creative like we've never repeated a dish at Acme for example, you know what I mean? Like your creativity shouldn't just be because you're in a pop-up. No, no, no. You know it's not I mean? about that. It's about, it's not saying it's harder, but if you think that like there's not places that rest on their laurels, oh, you know, and they open and once they yeah. open, that's it. That's, that's they're done. They sit back and that's five years later, but constantly reinvigorating, you know, constantly getting rid of good staff because, you know, I mean, like Mitch has got 
Danny Boy, our kitchen hand, mm. who's probably one of the best kitchen hands I've ever worked with. So he ended up acting. I was wondering because yeah. you, you just yeah. lost Lil. Yeah. No, but Danny, we have Danny, but yeah, and Danny came from Mike. Yeah, like, no, I, I knew that. Know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah. You would well. never have let him go if you had a, if you know, had so a we had to get another one, retrain him, get another one, retrain him, and it's like the kind of thing you wanna, you wanna have as a. A security blanket these staff you know what i mean you you train up waiters you let them go you move on it's t- it's a t- it's that's the tough part you know what i mean like and there's rental prep like bonds but they they come and they go so it's like a bit easier you know what i mean but it's just it's very disrespectful to think that they're a lesser entity than a permanent no, they should still be treated as a re- yeah. from a reviewer's eyes yeah they should still be treated as a restaurant as a dining experience that adds to the culture of the city yeah not an, even not necessarily as a restaurant but definitely as a dining experience that adds to the excitement well, still, of the city that you're writing about six months yeah, or two yeah, exactly. weeks or whatever it's still a fucking restaurant exactly and i mean it's still it, gotta run it comes down to reputation like parsi came out and said that cafe parsi was a pop-up and every single place went and reviewed him he won yeah. chef of the year he got, and he got all guides. the he got all the guides so yeah. it's just about their own perception there's nothing wrong with it and i don't really give a fuck like we're not disappointed we get heaps of media we get lots of attention we're doing really well but mm. there's a like we've had a couple of guys come to us recently and girls that have said oh look we've we've done the training and we're looking to do our own thing and what would you advise and i want to say to them go and do go and do pop-ups like go and find yourself a a space but at the same time you kind of think well we got really lucky that people took any notice of us at the first one whether i don't know how many people come and go and you know don't get that recognition i just think it's shit yeah you yeah. still to do a pop-up you have to build a reputation definitely to, to own it to run a successful restaurant these days you have to build a reputation too you can't just come in and i'm going to open a restaurant i hope to be successful. it's one of those like chicken and the egg things like, yeah you can't get reputation until you run a successful business you can't run a successful business until you get reputation well, you have it's to like build this. you have to build reputation in the industry first yeah. i mean you've got to get and then that comes yeah like you you got lucky we got lucky like yeah. of the same people that come through like there's, yeah, but there's you many make people. your own luck too if you're not working your ass off not saying you're not, not going to get lucky that, but there's heaps of guys that are working their ass off uh, and then yeah. there's 12 people that get mentioned yeah. all the time there's so many guys that we know that are really good chefs and they're never in the limelight mm-hmm. like it took LPs two years to start getting any recognition from the media and mm-hmm. doing anything and it's helping the business but like they've been better than us for <laughs> two years you know what I mean like every time you look at their food you just go it's yeah. so good you know what I mean like but there's so many people like that you know like you, you're happy for everyone that gets the success but you're also saddened by the people that miss the boat you know mm. and there's no there's no cut and dry rule mm. like some guys some people's food that is as good as everyone else's and they get ghost town and that places just go yeah then there's other places that are fucking shit yeah, and they, <laughs> and they get around s- for fucking 15 years like, so. what the fuck so after, you know, you mentioned that there are people that come to you and ask for advice about starting a new venture, let's talk about starting a pop-up. What are some things that people should and shouldn't do? So, I think the advantages of pop-ups, for instance, like, so one of the things Mitchy brought up then was like the rental bond. So, for instance, one of the things I've come to terms with now is that I will never invest the money in a site that I don't own. I will not do it. Like, the longer that we've done pop-ups and the more I've seen friends, you know, and like, I'm sure Mitchy can talk to this point better than me but when you put money into places it puts you under so much pressure you know like we managed to open the last pin bone for thirty thousand dollars and had the building not being demolished we could have stayed there if we wanted to we could have put a da in to get a, an alcohol license and we could have made it a really profitable little business and put some more money into it and probably for about 50 grand we could have run that for two three years but i don't reckon i would go over 100k so if you're going to do something permanent or temporary i think the the money you put into it like, and this comes to what me and, me and Mitch were talking about before we opened is sometimes people's reviews are focused too heavily on design and features. But I think it's one of the biggest errors personally you can make to put yourself under pressure to put that investment into a site. It doesn't mean it's easy to do it without it because there's so many sites that need. Man, it's really hard to build a kitchen for 100K. I know, but you've got to wait and find one. This is he's asking me for advice on yeah, pop-ups. Yeah, but if you spend yeah. two hundred fifty thousand dollars on a kitchen, this this is what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, if you're gonna open a restaurant, like if you're gonna open a pop-up, what Mike does is goes and finds a place that has things in it, and they might be fucking really shit things, but they work. Yeah, because the most like expensive parts. Like, run off yeah. two walks. Yeah, yeah. 
The most you expensive know? parts of kitchens aren't the equipment in it. It's your grease trap. It's your exhaust fans. Well, they're the bulk yeah, and you should be getting your landlords to be put there. into them. Landlord well. should pay for that stuff. Should. If it's a part of the building and it stays there and you can't take it with you when yep. you go, yeah, but I mean, the landlord you know, should pay for don't it. Don't open a pop-up. Don't do a pop-up in an art gallery is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure it's... Yeah, no, yeah, I mean, yeah. unless, because unfortunately, I mean, you should be able to do those because in other countries, the best pop-ups are the ones that are in weird spaces. Mm. But our legislation and our Doesn't councils are stupid like some of the best restaurants in the world at the moment are basically people on rooftops mm. with a weber yeah we, we, we had a, did an entire episode earlier this week about cambodia and you know that's all outside but even minimal setup. in new york at the moment there's a place called i think it's achilles heel and the guy's basically built himself a little barbecue on a roof and he <laughs> does chickens just hanging over the fire and then just grilled vegetable sides and the place is sick but you would get killed in australia if you tried yeah. to do that but it's sick so mitchy's point's true you can't invest in a long-term thing but at the same time even if you're trying to you shouldn't be building hoods grease trap you know you shouldn't be paying for that stuff you know toilet facilities try to put the landlord on yeah. for that because anything, anything is upgrading anything the site that stays in the site and adds value to the site the landlord should yeah. be paying for but then the second tier to that is everything you do to a site so building kitchen pass or whatever that kind of they won't pay for you can't get around that. You need stainless. You need all this sort of stuff. So it's expensive. But then everything you put in, so you might go and buy yourself $250 tables. But when you go to sell them, they're worth 25 bucks. Mm. Like I don't care where you work, what you do. No, you get no return. Everything diminishes by about 75% literally the first day you turn the key. So if you spend $500,000 on a fit out and 150 of that's kitchen, you've got 350000 on the front. You've got to pay that back. So it's money that you've got to find every week to pay that back mm-hmm. before you make profit. You know what I mean? So it's very tough. And the problem is reviewers get really focused on what things look like. And that's a shame because really should be what they're eating and should be about the young generation moving forward because we can't compete with guys that have got investors. You know, like you can't compete with the old school brigade like the Matt Morans and the, you know, the Luke Mangans who have built up a, a career collecting people that have money and now they've got power. And so they can open a place that, you know, might not be as good as the new young, you know, exciting chef but they look real pretty and that's like so young reviewers like myself Mm -hmm. whenever i submit stuff to the guides that i write for i never ever mention what a fit out looks like because my brain doesn't work like that and i always get the review sent back to me saying you didn't mention the fit out the design of the venue you need to add a few sentences about that and it's always like oh it's like it looks nice like i don't know that doesn't it's it it's not that it shouldn't matter because it can add to the overall experience Mm. but a cheap fit out can add as much to the experience yeah. as a fucking four million dollar fit out. Exactly. You Depending can, either way if it's done right yeah. or wrong. You should always talk about it in a positive light. But if you think it's a negative, I don't think it should come into it. Like if you want to mm-hmm. say that the fit out they laid down was great and added to the experience, that's fantastic. But as long as the food's good to match and you yeah. judge the food equally. But if the the fit out's bare bones and minimal because they didn't want to drop two hundred fifty thousand dollars on whatever, you should it be a negative. Yeah, it should you shouldn't be, be punishment. Punished. That's yeah. the thing. But unfortunately, it is a lot of the time. So for a pop-up, find a site that's existing. And the beautiful part about Sydney is people close every six months. So there are lots of sites. You know what I mean? Take a gamble, push for short-term leases, push for low you know, rental bonds, low overheads. low overheads, keep your overheads down. You know what I mean? And be realistic. Don't expect to make money. Do it for fun. Do it for creativity. Do it for your reputation. You know, uh, one of the things I got taught from a guy called Jason Jones, who used to run Mama Cedar. And he now runs a chain of, or he's starting a chain of like Mexican style places through Southeast Asia, is invest in yourself to the point where you feel like it's education. So if you want to go to university, you might spend $100,000 on tuition. If you want to drop $100,000 on a pop-up, but you're going to think you get 18 months out of it, you will learn $100,000 worth of education in that site. You'll learn about all the things that you never realized was were going on when you were working 75 hours in the kitchen. So as long as you're prepared to lose the money, it's safe. But get a lot out of it. Do everything because that's how you become a really good restaurateur. Like there's so many things that you'll never know until you've done your own space. And we've worked now across like four different companies. And this is moving into another company now. And I can't wait to learn how Maryvale runs things because it's all about upskilling and educating yourself. And eventually we'll lay, lay ground and we'll stay somewhere permanently, maybe or I will, or Jem will, or Barry will. We might even be independents. But what we've picked up and what we've taught ourselves over the years, like 
will be invaluable. And that's the thing. Like we spent $30,000 on this one and I got at least double that in just education, just mm. just learning different things, totally separate nuances to what we used to learn. One of the, one of the toughest things was running as a BYO restaurant, but we managed to do it. I think we settled the books up yesterday. So everyone's paid, all staff, all suppliers, and we had money in the bank. Well, so, so like, I mean, that's a really small win and it's not a smart win, but now we know how to run a business without selling booze in Sydney in a shit area on a train track you know what i mean in a dive of a building with very minimal overheads and make profit so to me that was a win and also it's if i just threw a bar on next door it becomes a really profitable business and so then you kind of back yourself i think the biggest question about when to invest and when to set when to open chefs are always like when am i ready it's you're never you're never ready, ready you're never but ready. if you can get yourself to a point where you feel like you have a model that won't send you bankrupt in the first 12 months you'll be okay because the 12 months is the hard part yeah and then you've uh, got to go again you know what i mean like you got to keep going every every 12 months is the hard part right yeah. and that's that's the thing with with a pop-up too you can do something and know that you have x amount of time so you sort of know that you have a captive audience for x amount of time too but if pinbone was still opening that site in three years like we can't say that it would be as busy as it was in that first six months, you know? Like You've got to keep it relative. So if you're going to open for a long term, you've got to be as busy as you can and get your payments down because the second yeah. years get less and less unless you are like an S-star or, yeah. you know what I mean, those kind of places that keep evolving and keep getting busier. Like Esther seems to be busier now than it was when it first opened yeah. and that's through hard work and dedication and execution. And, you know, the, the hardest part about a pop-up is you throw away your reputation at each site and you've mm. got to start again so you know we were, we were really highly regarded for doing brunch and we threw that in the bin and started get, got recognition for doing Italian and we threw that in the bin got recognition <laughs> for doing Chinese and so you know Matt Mitchie's now got a reputation as like the pasta you know restaurant of Sydney yeah, and everyone stop fucking putting pasta on your menus in non-Italian restaurants and shit fucking hell <laughs> <laughs> so you know you get you got there's a, there, I mean there's pros and cons for both you know what I mean? Like effectively, Mitchie's been running now for X amount of years and you'd hope that he's three paid off his... Three years in October. See, there you go. He survived the three. Two years is pretty pretty hard to get out of Sydney. Mm. So we, anytime you get over the, three... Is the dip cheap. lasted three years and two months. Yeah. yeah. So that's fucking impressive. So you've got to hope that you get your your spend down. You know, your, your investment at the start's gone because mm. you won't be as busy as you was for the first 12 months. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So, you know, but you spot, he's also now got a big footprint. So he's mature, it's Acme, and it's synonymous with Sydney Dining. Whereas when he opened, it was like, who and where and what? So it's all swings and roundabouts. Because now when you say Mitch's name, everyone goes, oh, that fuckwit. But they know that it's Acme, whereas it used to just be the fuckwit. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, so what about from a menu point of view? Because when I think of a pop-up, I generally think of a smaller menu. That's not what you did at Good Luck Pinman at all. It was like, like definitely lending to the fact that you guys ran a straight-up restaurant mm. just for a shorter amount of time than your average restaurant runs for. Um, 
do you like you know if you were if you were starting out doing your own pop-up would you recommend doing a menu as big as that or or keeping things simple and smaller menus are one of those things and i I think mitch i'd like to hear mitch's point of view on this but menus for me are one of those things that evolve as you get smarter as a chef and there's two ways to write a menu there's a menu that you write as a chef where it's kind of about you and your food and the dishes that you're doing and then there's the menus to write as a restaurateur where you look at the parts of the menu where you think okay i can get people to have this and then i can get them to have this and then i'll get them to have this i can reuse that element in this one well no not so much that but you kind of you know what you need to get out of a customer right so we knew we needed to get 50 bucks out of a person so if i wrote a short menu where it was like a chicken and a rice and a greens that'd be enough for two people but that would only be about 60 bucks so we would have got a 30 dollars head spend so you gotta manipulate your menu and you write it more as a restaurateur as, as opposed to a chef so for instance like if i was going to be super chefy and like avant-garde and like mad the my favorite way to write a menu would be literally like maybe 12 things max so that a table of four could order like one of everything and then a table of two could order maybe half the menu and it'd be really cool and they'd have to come back and try it again and and everything we priced appropriately so it kind of got to that 50 dollars head mark if that's what i needed depends on the site depends on our overheads but realistically, when you do that, then you get the gluten-free person, then you get the nut-free person, then you get the vegetarians, then you get the vegans. So it's all about personal choice. For us, we run 90% gluten-free just by default because we were doing like Chinese. 95. How are you going to do that with a pizza shop? <laughs> <laughs> we got some tricks. We got some tricks. Um, 95% dairy-free for this one was quite easy. But even when we were at Ten million, we had fifty percent of the menu that was dairy free, and then twenty five percent of the the menus that were you could easily leave the, the dairy out. out. Yeah. So once you tick those boxes, and then you go, okay, well, I know we get a lot of vegetarians and vegans, and I don't want to have the hassle during the night. So there's three dishes on the menu that are vegan, so that covers my vegetarians and my vegans. But then there's also three dishes that I can quickly make vegetarian, drop something out. So there's six dishes. So even if a table of four walk in that's a vegan. I can cover them and vegan and vegetarian all covered. So that's that's ticked that off. But then all of a sudden you've already started with six dishes. You know what I mean? Before you even write your menu, unless you want to just do a vegan restaurant. So as a restaurateur, you become smarter. As a chef, you're always a bit more like arrogant. But once your business is successful and you're making money, <clears throat> you quickly realize that that's the smarter play. Mm. And also you get into Saturday night and the waiters come in and they go, okay, I got a vegan, a veggio, a dairy-free, a gluten-free. And you're like... Yep. Yeah, it's fine. Because it don't have to be a stress, you know what I mean? And back in the old days when we first opened, we didn't have that those, that nuance. We didn't have the smarts. Um, and maybe we should have, but that's a thing. You know, you, you don't have them. Writing a menu is... A, the food part of writing a menu is easy. Like when we open Acme, the food is the last thing I thought about. Yeah. Because I, I know I can cook and I sort of knew what I was going to do and that would come out in the wash. But writing a menu is more than just about the food because it's what makes the business money to pay all the bills it's what attracts customers and it it's sort of what it's the voice of your restaurant right so you have to it's easy to be creative when you have boundaries it's easy for Mike to be creative in Pinbone because he knows I've got two woks to work with and I've got a charcoal grill so that defines where his creativeness goes right at Acme the menu has a structure the same as Mike was talking about. There's the jats which are always on and that rotates so that's, that's fine. I know, okay, I can be creative in that little box and it's got to go on a jats. And then there's a bologna sandwich which stays on and then the linguine stays on, the macaroni stays on. So everything else around that changes and that because we've been there for three years and we're not a pop-up, those three or four things that people recognise and know Give the gives everyone a point of familiar familiarity when they come into the restaurant and gives the menu some grounding and they're signature dishes so to speak but we don't have to call them that and then outside of that i can be as creative as i want and things can change as often as i want because that needs to happen as well to please repeat customers who come in all the time and they don't want to eat the same thing over and over and over and over and over again and it attracts new customers because they see you're constantly evolving and constantly working so the menu has a structure of those things 
X amount of vegetarian things, a cheese thing, the stracciatella, a seafood, a meat on the snacks. And then the pastas have the same breakdown. There's now four vegetarian pastas, all, all of which except one can be completely vegan or adjusted for whatever dietary necessary. Then there's two seafood pastas and then the pig set at the moment. So it's the same thing. I give myself a structure to work in, to be creative in. So I know, okay, this vegetable's come out of season. I need to change a vegetable pasta. And that gives me a box to be creative in rather than going, if you tell us, you can do whatever the fuck you want with whatever equipment. I don't know where to start, you know? So there's that part of it. But then there's also, okay, we need to balance this out so my food cost hits X amount. So I can, as Mikey said, I can afford to pay all those overheads you might not be able to go to cost every dish to hit that exact mark. So you've got to be able to create balance across your menu where you might make one thing might cost you 60% food cost to put on the plate, but then you can balance that out with something else that costs 5% to put on the plate. You know what I mean? So, And you don't learn any of this mm. when you're an apprentice or a chef being taught how to cook someone else's food, you know? You just, you just need to do it, but you need to do it smart. So don't overcapitalize yourself if you're doing your first one because you'll find, you'll find things that just fuck you. You know what I mean? Um, and to, the, to the, um, the food costing thing, like one of the things that, that I've always drawn back to is the Mission Street Chinese food book. And it's so clever. Like, and he talks about not hitting your margins on everything. <clears throat> talks about fried rice. I think it, I can't remember the exact example. It's pigeon and fried rice or pigeon and something else. Pigeon costs him 12 bucks, but he sells it for 22 which is fucked food cost. It's 50%. Yeah. But then he has fried rice that costs two bucks, but he sells it for 12. Yeah. So it makes the same profit. So he's like, at the end of the day, you've got to look at it in two avenues. You have to hit higher percentages on some, but 10 bucks is 10 bucks. So if you sell 100 pigeons and you sell 100 fried rice, you get the exact same money. Some are lower in labor, some are higher in turnaround. Like we were selling yabbies that cost us $18 for 34 bucks. So terrible food cost, but they come in, they go out, keeps people happy. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're on another restaurant, you're probably selling it for $48. But, you know, we make other margins. You know, there's other things on the dish, like eggplant, you know, omelets. Mm-hmm. People are happy to pay $20. They're delicious. It probably cost me about 2 bucks. So you get, you know, much more profit on those. Balance. Okay, so to recap, keep your overheads low. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, don't be afraid of, of losing money on this yeah, venture absolutely. that could be, be used as education. Don't get into hospitality if you expect to yeah, not lose totally. money. It's yeah. not losing money. It's don't don't be disappointed if it's if you don't get the money back, but look at it as a way. You're spending the money on something other than making, making profit. Money, you're yeah. educating yourself. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> structure your menu cleverly. Um, you you we, won't be able to do that, but try. Try. But you'll learn. You'll learn. You'll learn for you'll the learn. next one. Don't just put on a bunch of crazy dishes that you really want to show off. You can cook. Be more yep. smart yep. about the way yep. you structure. And maybe have a. Uh, I hate saying, but maybe have an Instagrammable dish or two as well. <laughs> unfortunately, in this modern world, that really pays dividends. So there, there's there's guys that write whole menus based on that, and they're fucking shit. Yeah. But it does it. It be it, remo- it would be remiss not to tell people to try it because. <clears throat> some of those things really help, don't they? So that's a very good backbone of ideas. I want one last uh, helpful hint from you, and that is how do you get people to your pop-up? How do you get it to stand out from all the other restaurants in Sydney? Oh, that, that just comes down to you. If you're good, people they'll come. come. If you're not, then they won't. And you'll know. That, so don't overcapitalize yourself. People will respect quality. <clears throat> At the end of the day, if you stick to your guns, you work really hard, people will turn up. But do, do, do people just find out about you because you're good or do you need to reach out to begin with? Look, if, you've, if, you, if you're good, the industry will know and the industry will support and then people will come from the industry. So reach out to your chefs you've worked with, trained with or respect. Invite them along to pop-ups. You know, like, <clears throat> sure, Michi and myself would gladly go and support young people if they asked us to come to a pop-up. And then, you know, it doesn't take much from, you know, few different instagram accounts in sydney to talk about something before the buzz kicks in yep and then it comes down to quality if you invite us to something that's pretty shit you're probably not going to get the nicest you know comments you're probably not going to get instagram and not yeah but even if we did because we're friends the next wave wouldn't because they're not your friends so it's kind of like everything has a flow and if you if you stop it you You, you just can't expect anything to be easy especially in the climate that we have today in the industry like nothing is easy but, and, but, but you know, do it but try try yeah. do it because but just 
but be realistic you know that's yeah. all i'm saying awesome well should we put a pin in that conversation yeah should we pop that pop-up pop up <laughs> say pin more times <laughs> um now it's time to move on to a very exciting segment that i forgot to do with sophia uh-huh. and it is fuck burger of the week <laughs> did you listen to our fuck burger discussion i don't listen to you guys when i'm not on podcast that's a lie i know you listen <laughs> no i did <laughs> see something um this week I don't like fuck burgers. No, no. So fuck, fuck burgers. Uh, yeah, you do? No, I do. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> I get I get in trouble for calling them out on the internet from for, uh, from people that own businesses that I apparently know. Oops. Um, so fuck burgers are the name that we are giving to freak burgers. Don't censor the fuck. It's not not. <laughs> it's not. You know. You like someone would say my freaking ears. Say my fucking ears. Call it a fuck burger because that's what it is. It's the it's a fuck. It's a burger that fuck boys eat. And uh, it's a big, disgusting mess. What's a fuckboy? Like, just not a good person. Just, yeah. a, just a, a bad bloke who, who lines up for supreme drops. <laughs> um, uh, so this one uh, is, uh, is a recommendation from uh, a listener, Billy Turnus. Or Tuanus. Sorry, Billy. Um, I mispronounce everyone's names <laughs> in here, including my own sometimes, so it's fine. Uh, it is a, uh, we're going to bring it back to a classic uh, in conversation, especially when Mike's around, is Perth. So it comes from Western <laughs> Australia. Um, oh, last it's been too long. Last drop, Belia. Be is it Belia? I don't know. How would you pronounce that? Be, Belia? Uh, Perth sucks. Be li- <laughs> I don't know. Belia. How would they say it with like, one chromosome? Belia. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to love the uh, the email that came in today as People well. People fucking hate me. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's all right. Okay. Uh, they say, have you tried our pizza burger yet? It's a big feed loaded with char-grilled beef patty, pickles, cheese, bacon, egg, aioli in a toasted Turkish bread with melted cheese, pepperoni, and Napolitana sauce. Not for the faint-hearted. So, it's a burger oversized to begin with. And then on top of the bun, they've lathered on pizza sauce, cheese, and pepperoni. Hungy would love it. No one would love. It sounds it's, fucking horrible. And it's this just like, like, I, I like, I, I, just from a healthy, healthy point of view, like burgers are already unhealthy enough. You don't need to make them so fucking ridiculous that, like, and you know, people, the people that that seek these things out don't need to eat a burger to begin with. They should probably go easy on yeah. that. And like, this is just like you, you are lessening their lifespan with these fuck burgers. Yeah, but you know, I don't think any of our, like, I don't think we're speaking. To people that don't agree with us, you yeah. Know what sure. I mean, I think we're in our little bubble of people that all think that shit's the fuck burger bubble. Yeah, I think this and is a waste of breath. Like yeah. everything to do with the fuck burger. Like I think you captured it, and then if you make one, you should just go and live on an island somewhere and not talk. I like. To I'm going to call out the more ridiculous. Yeah, ones do, it, do it. Since, keep, since, since uh, mentioning it on the podcast two weeks ago, oh, people love calling it out. Holy fuck! I've been tagged in. I reckon <laughs> over a hundred fuck burgers. <laughs> um, yeah, so much that I was so lazy that instead of finding one of the really good ones, Billy tagged me in one today, and I'm yeah, like, "That'll do." Because that'll <laughs> <do. laughs> um, they're all fucking ridiculous. Yeah, so, they're all yeah. But like, we got I got ones that like that are made on buns that have been dyed different colors. Ones that have like so many different <sighs> kinds of meat and cuisine crammed into it. So look forward to fuck burgers of the week. Is there any sense. burger that's not a normal burger that's acceptable? So uh, we're not talking about like a pizza topping with a fried chicken with a this yeah, yeah. with a whole roast beef you know is there anything that extends past a double patty and bacon kind of vibe or a classic cheese with a bit of slaw or uh, you know some like what well, okay, at I, what realm i used to do a burger a- that i loved called the shaka burger and mm-hmm. it was like the, the kind of uh you know the the pineapple on a burger vibe but we did it with like like we would grill the pineapple and then we did it with like a habanero mayo yeah but that's and okay, bit, yeah. And that's okay. See, that's not, yeah, yeah. so how many things um, can you there's add there's a history between- of pineapple on a burger yeah, yeah sure. so how many things can you add before you become a fuck burger the lot so if i just took like a braised short rib and put that inside a bun that no. That's fuck burger. Well, no, no, no sorry. I, I, I thought you meant you would put that on top of a burger. That's, <laughs> that's what they do. Because so it, it's multiple. So meats. within yeah. the bun, it's okay. Or, or else I think the, the, the biggest thing is multiple meats. Like, yeah, so it's two fine. types of animal. If you're putting like, if you're putting bacon and beef together, that's fine. It's a classic combo. Mm-hmm. Chicken and bacon together, that's a classic combo that works. But if you're doing meat like beef and fried chicken and yeah. fucking pulled pork, that's what about like yeah. smoke deal and beef. <laughs> Anytime you because I something. had that and it was really good on a burger in Japan. Wow, okay, it was right. fucking hectic. Yeah, okay. it was so good. Anytime you put something, Japan get a pass in general. Though. Yeah, <laughs> Any, anytime you put something on the bun, 
Like anytime you fuck yeah, with the bun somehow. So ex, ex parte to the normal. Yeah. yeah. So if you've created a new Automatically. Roof, yeah. If you yeah. can't hold it with your hands because there's fucking yeah, if you molten it up and Napolitana it, yeah. sauce and cheese yeah. on top. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. I'm just waiting for one of those like bobblehead dolls on top of a burger. <laughs> like that's just sitting on top of it. It's like, how do I approach this? Anyway, it'll be in Perth. It's not a bit. No, not at all. No, no, no. This, is, uh, this, is from, this is from listener Glenn. Uh, hello, gents slash cunts. My name is Glenn and I'm a chef from Ireland who decided to move about six years ago to make Perth my home. I have listened to your show from day one and look forward to a new podcast every week when it happens. Sorry about that, but not really. Basically, yeah. I'm writing this because of your latest podcast. The main discussion was about women in the hospitality and, and, and stereotypes Types and generic bullshit. Many times on the Mitchin, Perth has been looked down upon and has been the butt of many jokes <laughs> by people who have never been to Perth. Well, a few weeks ago, I att- by the way, there's not one full stop in this email. I'm doing it look like potatoes. I get too sad. Um, well, a few weeks ago, I attended a lunch from a former Mitchin guest in Amy Hamilton from Liberté, who had joined forces with a local wine bar owned and run by Rachel Nial from Budburst. It was an amazing day hosted by another former Mitchin guest in Max Veenhuizen. I'm sure I dodged your name. Sorry, mate. Uh, anyway, the best thing I took from this long lunch was looking around the venue and noticing that the room was probably a majority of women. No big deal, I know. But when I started to see who the women in the venue were, I started to think about the Perth hospitality industry and realized right there and then that Perth has amazing women in all aspects of the industry here. In a way, these women are running in this town and Perth is all the better for it. I look at women like Rachel, who has a fantastic natural wine bar serving modern French food. Emma Ferguson, the owner of No Mafia and Balthazar fame by the way boys the video is still rolling with probably <laughs> the best palette in town um, Sally of Shadow Wine Bar killing, killing it Terry Seabar bringing the best natural wine possible at non-Perth prices Caitlin from Lulu Delizia managing the front of house from one of the best restaurants in the country the list goes on and I have not mentioned a ton of people my point is that Perth is looked down upon a lot and in many ways and is constantly five years behind but how about you guys have a look at how we have such a varied workforce and dare I say it a female dominated one I'm sure this email will be greeted with some kind of uninformed remark but why don't you guys give Queensland abuse for once <laughs> that's a that's great email a great I think we should definitely <laughs> touch on that in, in other news <laughs> I've got a different segment we should talk about because that email was crap really you don't want to talk about it all talk about that really just some dude having a whinge he's not no, whinging at no, all he's, he's whinging at it's great he's whinging at us he's not whinging it's, at anybody it's great he's it's, saying he's saying I know you guys like to shit on Perth but like you know in direct response to what we were talking about on a previous episode we shit on Perth because it's funny <laughs> not because it's accurate he's not even no. saying don't shit on Perth he's no. just like saying but hey, no, it's, it's great. Not, don't Man, shit on Perth give us a shout out it's, it's fantastic that there's so many women in the industry and we should celebrate them 100%. But it's Perth. Whatever. <laughs> no, I'm not. And to be fair, we give fucking Queensland heaps of shit too. Yeah, yeah, I do. Come on. Everyone Ending on that sentence. Melbourne surely you got to give the Melbourne the email. If give any email, email a pass that ends with, why don't you give Queensland abuse for once? <laughs> That's great. Like, no, I think it's great that, he, that Perth recognises the women in the industry and just looking around and going man fuck it's so good that we're being led by all these amazing women and that's great too and but so is sydney and so is melbourne and so is everywhere else like it shouldn't be a big deal that there's amazing women doing amazing things in the industry it shouldn't be yeah i'm not touching on it (laughs) anyway mike has a new segment (laughs) no i don't thanks glenn for your email if you want to send an email um for mike send it to me and i'll make sure he gets it there's no way that anything we say is based on anything but being dickheads like (laughs) anyone takes anything we take seriously like it's the biggest piss take of all time like we have no idea about food we have no idea about hospitality and we definitely don't have any idea about perth i do love that he even called himself out whilst defending perth and was like maybe we're five years behind though like that was pretty good like hey 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 oh we're shit but hey yeah, yeah. like that was good but we don't know anything we don't care we're just having a laugh yeah, and if yeah. you're listening you're having a laugh too. i don't think he was offended that he's we're offended fe- he's not offended he's at all he's, he's listened to every episode he's offended every single time <laughs> and it's taken him that long to write the email do you do you remember mike's segment name um was right. it called mike psyched like Get on your fucking bike. No, it was terrible. But you know what? I looked and looked and looked and I could not find five things. Did you look in Perth? 
I did. <laughs> Hence the reason we're skipping the, uh, the, the, the dishes I want to eat. You couldn't find five things I couldn't this find week. five things. Uh, you know what? It was really disappointing the last two weeks. I couldn't find anything that was really popping. The, I, I mean, okay, there was. So, Paper Bird was great. I saw yeah. all the dishes from Paper Bird, that, but I ate them. Paper so Bird is a new, really new restaurant. We talked about it last week very briefly, and we will have Ned and, uh, and Ben on at some point again soon. And then but then you got the new one from the Moon Park Boys. Esther's doing really cool shit at the moment. Yeah. With the chicken neck the sausage chicken, on yeah. it. And LPs is doing really cool shit. LPs but everyone, we say cool it every shit. time yeah. I come on, everyone goes, Clayton, Clayton Instagram, the chicken neck mm. with the head. You should see the comments. On oh, they're all of them. On the Esther's one, they just got hilarious. slammed. People, that's gross. That's disgusting. Yeah. That's, you're idiots. Stop idiots. eating food, you douchebags. And stop yeah. following a restaurant. Like <laughs> We put up a photo of the baby pigs that I had for my birthday. Yeah. And people were like, that's horrible. Yeah. I'm a meat eater, but that's disgusting. It's like, well, go to hell. You know, like, what are you going to do with people like that? Like, really, I like eating meat, but I don't want to see it. It's yeah. like, well, I don't want to talk to you. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm not even going to engage them. You yeah. know? I don't want to know it was alive, but I like eating it. That's it. Anyway, <laughs> I got a different one. I got a segment called What Grates My Gouda. <laughs> <laughs> and I gave the name <laughs> just for lives. <laughs> and everyone can play Gouda <laughs> you love it it was just for you do you even grate Gouda you can you can, you can. Oh, it's so right. louder, but it doesn't sound as good yeah. if you say it that it's way, definitely so. called Gouda yeah, it's, it's like Gouda, Gouda. It's, it is really yeah. right Gouda Gouda yeah. <laughs> say it it's Gouda <laughs> see I gave you a Simpsons quote so what grates my Gouda so I want everyone to play along you just have to think of something in the, the hospitality or food or beverage industry and what really annoys you I'm gonna kick isn't my isn't that why we do every fucking yeah, yeah but this time it's in a segment so it okay. could be like specific alright so the first one I want to talk about and this is well, the only one I'm gonna talk about and then you guys play along because I know you'll have your little inputs I hate when people take techniques and infer them as flavorings Right, so the uh, classic example is when you get panna cotta ice cream. Yeah, you love that. <laughs> I have fun. It gets my that. gouda and grates it. Gouda, <laughs> grates my gouda. I can accept when people say tyranny about this yeah, for like it never five stops years. Never said it on the podcast. That's hilarious. <laughs> it never though. stops annoying me. You know what I mean? It's so fucking shit. You know, like you get this ice cream and it's called panna cotta, and you're like, what the fuck is panna cotta flavor? I can accept tiramisu. That's an actual flavor. It's coffee. It's chocolate and all that. But don't tell me something's called panna cotta flavor because it's just cream. It's not. It's cream. It's just ice cream. You just made ice cream. You just made ice cream. Yeah. It's unflavored ice cream. All you did was take elements out of ice cream. What if you put? I'm gonna put a panna cotta on and say it's ice cream panna cotta. <laughs> yeah, At home for Archie. Yeah. <laughs> so that's oh, one of the things. And then the other one that I'll bring up, which I really hate, is when you're reading a normal menu, right? And they're like. They'll just throw in like, oh, like um, slow cooked lamb, blah, blah. And then they'll write like mirepoix carrot. And it's like, (laughs) 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 why did you have to tell me it was a mirepoix of carrots? Like just a one little French terminology. They just throw away little thing. You know, I like, I like when you see umami on a menu. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, that's not an ingredient. (laughs) I added so much umami. (laughs) (laughs) But there's lots, huh? There's plenty of things that you just see and you just like. I love when reviewers (laughs) complain about the way menus are written no matter how the menu oh. is written yeah they it, they complain when it's three ingredients yep. they complain when it's a long description like what do you say this creates your good image fucking want yeah, what do you yeah, actually yeah, you, can't you win. tell me what you actually want because if only they had a publication does, where they could outline what they, they want to how they want to see a menu how they want it done gourmet yeah. traveler put a fucking template of a menu style you would like <laughs> and then we can all give you shit about how fucking stupid it is Mine's simpler. Um, why are cronuts still a thing? <laughs> oh, okay. I went. For, I yeah. went to a cafe the other day, and they had an all cronut menu. Yeah. Haven't we evolved beyond like? Uh, uh, don't why do people? No one wants cronuts anymore. Did either of you ever go and buy a cronut? Did you actually um, ever I worked, go and buy a cronut? I worked above the Paramount Coffee Project, and they did cronuts there, so I had one of their cronuts. No, I don't think I've ever bought a cronut. I got given them, and I, I ate it, and I was like, meh. I like. <laughs> so, yeah. I like the cruffin at what Loon. The fucking hell. <laughs> They put That's what's the a croissant muffin? What's a croissant? Yeah, a croissant muffin. So they put croissant dough into a muffin mold and bake it like that. So it's like twist it up. Did you actually nice. say I want the croissant or did you just point no, at the I thing? If you were over in like Iceland, it'd be like a, a puffin. Puffin, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in a croissant. Crispy, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> crispy puffin. Wrapped in, like, wrapped in, wrapped in so it'd be like Morgie when he goes over to do <laughs> Copenhagen Bells, they'll be doing croffins. <laughs> 
<laughs> Nashville style cruffins. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's our episode for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much to Mike, and uh, be sure to look out for. We didn't even say what the fucking place your opening is going to be called. Oh, because uh, I wanted to give you shit about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, oh, no. Actually, yeah, that is a fucking yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> so it's what? opening in an old liquor shop called Mister Liquor. Yep. And so they're calling it Mister Liquor's Dirty Italian Disco. So the vibe is whatever. I don't know what would come through, but there's going to be like karaoke's and like mirror balls and shit. So it should be pretty. There's going to be karaoke's. Very much. That is, is that a, pl- a pluralized thing? Yeah. yeah. Well, in my multiples, like yeah. I, it's a drunken room and yeah. people just singing. I don't know what they are. Yeah. Look out for that. I can't wait to eat there. It's very exciting. Thanks so much for coming in again. Yep. And uh, you can find Mike online at Pinbone is the best place to look for him yes. on Instagram. Pinbone. See the uh, work in progress shots. Mostly you're going to see a bunch of like a few weeks of you just getting drunk on, on that account the next couple of weeks, right? I'm going to carve a heap of spoons and stuff because I haven't been able to do anything that I've wanted to do for ages. So you'll probably see a That's whole all lot. Mike wants to do. Uh, no, I'll be, I've basically got a collection of like wood that I've been dying to fucking carve and stuff like that. That's what I do in my spare time most of the time and I've been dying to get into it. So you'll probably see a whole lot of spoon. I'm doing a lot for Igni and for Attica. So. Sick. Yeah, so you'll probably see some of that. Unreal. Um, you can find Mitch online at Instagram, on Instagram at Krillin on the Run on Twitter. I'm at Levdog, L-E-V-D-A-W-G. Uh, check out my other podcasts, Hey Fam and Serious Issues and uh, make sure you check out Acme and um, we still, Rose as well. Do I still get to pick a song? Uh, yeah, sure. I forgot to put it on Sophia's one. I just realized oh. so I've got to... You gotta add. Oh, I've, gotta go, I've got to go back and edit it. So re-download the Sophia episode <laughs> if you want to hear her song at the end of it. Well, I've got one. What is the it? The current climate of the fucked up world, mm. and also, sorry, Perth, you, you're all right. But anyway, <laughs> the, you went the hard cu- this week, man. The current climate of all the fucked up things that are going. I don't want the Gap Band. You dropped a bomb on me. All right, it's a weird funk song. That's a good song. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a good song. Track, yeah. yeah. Gap Band, you dropped a bomb on me. The Play fun- it now. Mike Funk Classic Eggett. That's Add us. It again. Yeah, I'm going to be playing that, singing at karaoke at the new joint. Thanks so much for listening. Find us online, facebook.com slash themitchin or send us an email, themitchinpodcast at gmail.com. We'll make sure Mike is on to abuse you for it. Thanks so much. See you next time. Bye, Perth. Bye.
That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 